Welcome to episode two of Change by Design. Today I'm joined by Vivian from Albright, um, CEO of Albright. Um, Vivian, it's such a pleasure to be sat here with you today. Uh, you've led such an inspiring career and you're doing some incredible things for women in our society today. Um, but before we jump into Albright, I'd love to know more about your career and how you got where you are today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And you're so inspiring. I love talking to you before we start filming. So how I got to my career, um, my upbringing has a lot to do with who I am and I think it shapes all of us. So I was born and raised in Montreal. Uh, my parents immigrated to, to Canada. They didn't even speak the local language. They didn't know anyone. And I was really, I had these great role models where they worked really hard. And it was, it was never, you know, there was never an issue of my mom working. So I grew up with it being very normal. And I grew up with that drive and that tenacity. And, 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 even, and that was throughout my entire upbringing. And I remember when I was thinking about going to university, in which university, my dad was like, okay, well, how are you gonna pay for it? Even though they could pay, like it was just that, that work ethic was really ingrained into me, right? And when you pay for your own education, you just work so much harder, right? Yeah, and so I grew up with that, that work ethic, and I can see now why they did what they did. And, you know, my dad tells a story where he left his village in Greece when he was 13 years old because they, were, they just didn't have anything. And he wanted to go live in Athens, and he wanted to study, and he ended up becoming an engineer and then moved to Canada. And I was really inspired by that. So when I was old enough, I moved out of the house. And I, even though my parents lived 30 minutes from me, I lived on my own. I paid my own rent. I paid my own university. And then decided I just want to live abroad. Packed a you know, backpack. It was a hockey bag as a typical Canadian. And moved to London not knowing anyone. And I, um, I, worked, I started off actually my, my uh, career in photography, so representing photography, photographers. So I got to work with the likes of Helmut Newton, Michael Roberts, and these brilliant photographers um, here in London, which was fantastic. And then I saw an ad to work at MTV, and I was you know, in my early 20s. I thought, how cool would that be? <laughs> I'm just going to go. I'd love to work for MTV. And when I went in for the interview, the person who was supposed to interview me was ill. So I got to meet somebody more senior. And um, I got offered the job on the spot. And this was, you know, I was new in London. I didn't know anyone. I had never worked in media. And then I ended up working for him for the next 13 years of my career. Wow. And so I kind of accidentally fell into media. But, you know, I was, um, I was always really um, curious, really passionate about learning. I never really stay in my lane. I'm a little bit of a magpie in the sense I'm constantly asking questions, always wanted to learn. And whenever he moved on to another job, six months later, when his anti-poaching clause was over, he brought me with him. And, and I think that's really important, having whether it's a mentor or a coach or somebody that backs you. And I learned so much from him. And then when I got to you know more senior level, I really wanted to think about like what's important to me. Um, the, at, at, during a time of a lot of digital disruption, um, e-commerce was booming. I felt like I wanted to make sure that I don't get pigeonholed as just a media executive. There's nothing wrong with that, but it just wasn't for me. And I wanted to go lead an e-commerce company. So I did not look at any roles that were not e-commerce roles. I refused and eventually I got one. So I went to run a company called Unidays, which is a marketplace for Gen Z, 20 million users. So I had a big team of uh, 100 people and helped them grow. And then the pandemic happened. I had my second baby 
And I was at a point in my career, like so many women, and I've seen it here at Albright, reflecting on what's important to them during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to take my passion for driving profit and driving growth um, and merge that with purpose. And I found myself in a place where I was constantly helping my peer group negotiate their bonuses, negotiate their salaries, and start talking to women around me about money and what they earn. And it's interesting because women don't talk about money. Yeah. You know, before I asked the question about how much are you making? What should I be asking? Mm -hmm. They felt uncomfortable. I said, well, I'll tell you if you tell me. And so I, I was in this place where I was really supporting my, my, my friends. And um, during COVID, I met one of the co-founders here uh, Debbie Waska, and she was the only one walking in our communal garden like me aimlessly who couldn't sit still. And we just started chatting at all, about Albright and I just really fell in love with it. And she eventually offered me the role as um, CEO. And I came in and similar to your story where kind of you accidentally, it happened quickly, I then became CEO overnight. And I didn't come in with that mindset, but it was really about how do I take my energy um, my, my drive to help other women, but also merge that with driving profitable businesses, right? And this was a perfect combination. Wow, it's impressive. Um, and I think there's a lot of women that will resonate to that. I'm one of them. I remember being asked um, earlier on in my career what salary I wanted, and I would find it incredibly uncomfortable to have that conversation. So it's incredible to see someone championing those conversations and making them normal. Um, so yeah, thank you. And I always tell women, just when you think about a salary, double it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Go in with a number that makes you really uncomfortable, because if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, you're just not aiming high enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so tell us about Albright. Tell us about the mission and what you guys are up to. Absolutely. Um, so Albright is the global home for career-driven and ambitious women. Mm -hmm. So our mission is really to remove all barriers for women in the workplace. We want to really champion and empower women to achieve their goals whatever those might be. And so uh, what makes us really unique is that we believe that in order to drive change and systemic change, you need to support women across all stages of their career. So whether you're a female founder, a mid or senior manager, C-suite, we really focus on empowering women to achieve their goals. We do that by focusing on three areas. So one is around networking, the other one is around mentoring and upskilling. So we bring it to life through our physical spaces and our digital spaces. And the digital is really important because I feel really passionate about democratizing access to networking, to mentors, to learning content. Everyone should be able to access it. And that is the only way where you can really drive that change. We host about 30 events a month, which is crazy. Um, we have half a million women globally as well. And we, have, we also are quickly becoming the go-to partner for corporates and helping them co-create the future workplace for women. Amazing. So tell me about being a CEO and work-life balance. You mentioned you had young children. Mm. I, for one, know how challenging that is. So how do you keep that balance? Yeah, I've got um, a house full of boys. I've got two <laughs> young boys, a three-year-old and a 10-year-old, and even my dog is is a boy and um, I don't I don't talk about work-life balance I talk a lot about work-life integration my work is it's just part of my lifestyle mm -hmm. I absolutely love it I feel it's such a privilege that I that we have here to, to drive change for women right it's just it's such a great privilege and responsibility what I do is integrate it really well and not all the time with with my home life 
So I carve out time for the children. So like, and I'm very clear with my team because you have to model, you know, you have to be a role model for your, your, your female team members. I do the drop-off beginning of the week on Fridays. I'm always home in the afternoon. I really don't take any meetings. I do the pickup. I spend time with my children. And it's probably where I get the best thinking time mm -hmm. because otherwise my schedule tends to be back-to-back. Um, I make sure that I'm not out being um, having a, this beautiful club in Mayfair and also it's so addictive to meet amazing women as we were talking about you just you want to be around them all the time um, so I give myself three nights a week where I'm out networking meeting our community meeting our, our, our clients and partners and that's my maximum right and between me and my team I make sure that there's always somebody else here and, and distribute the load uh, but but it's hard. Um, I was hosting an event yesterday with about 30 senior women and we were talking about well-being and mental health. And I said, actually, yesterday I was so mentally exhausted that during the day at around 12, I, I had um, my EA and I just said, can you just clear my schedule for the next two hours? And I went home. Mm -hmm. I went home. I took a nap. Yeah. <laughs> I actually took a shower and washed my hair like quietly without a child banging on the door. Mm -hmm. And I took my dog for a walk and I came back because I knew I had an evening of networking and that requires energy and yeah. that energy in the sense like I really want to be present when I'm around women, when I'm interviewing them. And, and so I, I had to take that time off during the day and I'm very open, very vocal. I had a coaching session in the morning from eight to ten and you forget how much that drains you. It's the most amazing thing because you, you reflect on what you want to achieve, you reflect on performance but it really drained me. Mm -hmm. And then after the coaching session, I had three back-to-back -back finance meetings that I just couldn't think anymore. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna be no good tonight. I need to go home. So it's understanding where those boundaries are and where you need to take that time time off. And I, and I most of the time I get it right, but not all the time. You know, um, some, my, you know my, my little one who's three, when he sees me, he says, you're not working, you're not going to the gym. Those are the <laughs> things, he just checks whether I'm home. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, I hope that when they get older, I inspire them, right? So I try not to, um, think about the guilt, but think about, you know, how my parents inspired me. My mom has always worked. I mean, she's 70, she turned 70 last, um, last week and she was here from Canada. She said, can you help me start a catering business on Instagram? Can you help me like launch it? So she's in her fifth career and she, from a dry cleaning business to a restaurant, to a pottery business, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of immigrant type work that you do in Canada that, that we see a lot of Europeans do. She just, you know, she just goes for it. And I was always really inspired by that. That's amazing. I mean, it's like we were speaking about just before we started recording this interview, we recently did a project on working parents and one of the biggest takeaways we learned was the psychological impact that it has on women that we are not publicly talking about and I think being in a leadership role and being able to say I needed to take time out to just clear my head mm. where I don't have a child banging on the door or my phone's going nuts yeah. from work and admitting that and being vulnerable and open up to that I think it's such an important thing to do as leaders that we set that example and it's the one of the biggest questions I get asked is how do you deal with a mum guilt? Yeah. And I always say, for me, it's not about having perfectly balanced days every day. It's about trying to be balanced over a sustained period of time. Some yeah. days my child's going to take priority because she's sick. Yeah. And some days I might have to work those couple of extra hours on the business. I mean, wh what's your thoughts on mum guilt? I'm, I'm going to be really honest because I get asked this question a lot. And I almost feel bad when I answer this. I don't have any. I really... 
I, and, and I'm, I'm really honest. I just, I, um, I'm really passionate and my, my children come first and my family comes first. Um, but I'm a better mom if I'm doing what makes me really happy as well. And I, I just make sure that I'm, when I'm with my children, I'm very present. My phone is off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I travel. I've, I've always traveled for work. I'm there when they need to. And look, there's the times, you know, we're just going through the, secure, uh, the secondary application forms. And I swear, it's only the working moms that oh, sometimes do not get their first choice because I made errors on the form, of course, because I was filling it out so quickly. And, and I joke with, um, with my other working moms, none of us got our first choice. Um, it might, you know, it's, it might be coincidence, but you know, we don't get it all right. And you're not supposed to be great 100% of the time, right? And it's not, you know, it's that question, um, you know, how can women have it all? That's such a wrong question to ask. Why are we pitting ourselves against our career versus our family life? It's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. So I really do not have girls. And, and I was asked this question last night because when I asked them, the lovely lady I was interviewing last night, she talked about her mom girl. She said in the morning when her kids shout for her husband instead of mom, I'm like, gosh, when my kids say daddy, I'm like, great, you go, I'm staying in bed. <laughs> I'm like, fantastic. Um, and, and I'm okay with you know, not doing it right all the time, if occasionally making a mistake on the form and then I call and I apologize. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, I think we just need to not be so hard on ourselves, yeah. right? And you're, you're just, you know, if I'm, if I'm there, if I'm present 75% of the time, if I do my best, I'm okay with that because that's what I can do at that moment. I think one of the things I struggle the mo more with is um, making sure I take care of myself yeah. and going to the gym. And, and part of yesterday, me feeling a little bit out of place at work was because I hadn't gone to the gym all week. And that takes its toll because then I'm not a great mother, I'm not a great wife, I'm not a great boss, I'm not a great colleague. Mm -hmm. And it's and whether it's the gym, taking a walk, it's how do you refill your cup? And I think mm -hmm. that if you were refilling your cup regularly, then you, you are a better mother, you are a better friend, you are a better colleague. And I, I prioritize that. And then as a result, makes me better across all aspects of my life. I completely agree. I have the same thing. There are weeks where I just have to cancel my diary for an afternoon so that I can go to the gym or catch up on sleep so that I can keep showing up for other people. And I find mm -hmm. that when I am with my child, I am more present yeah. because I've had the headspace and the break. But it's so easy as a working mother to prioritise my teens need this and my child needs yeah. this and you end up being at the bottom of that list. Yeah. So it's nice to know that I'm not the only one <laughs> <laughs> that goes through that. Um, so, yes... I know you're passionate about gender equality. How do we look to solve gender inequality in the workplace? And what is your opinion on the most prevalent issues to date? Gosh, how long do you have, Lauren? How long is <laughs> this episode? Um, so there, there are many challenges. I, I think I'll start with there's never been a better time to be a woman in the workplace, right? Because you have choice. Mm -hmm. We've seen some of the great results through the Rose Review and more female founders. We've seen uh, more young female founders. So when you look at the, the results this year from the Rose Review, the rise of um, female founders came from the younger demographic. And that's really interesting is that, you know, I feel like they're taking control of their careers. Um, but at the same time, is work in the corporate world not working for them? Mm -hmm. I was really um, saddened to see that when the reports came out last week, you know, on April 4th, companies that have more than 250 employees have to publish their gender pay numbers, that there was no progress. Yeah. 
year on year. And in some cases, some big companies had gone backwards. Wow. And the gap is still um, 12, 12%. And, and that frustrates me and that saddens me, right? Because it shouldn't be. There's just so many data points that show more diverse leadership, um, not just gender, backgrounds, everything. Di the diversity of thought, the diversity of gender really drives better results in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I'm very passionate, and I say this publicly, like if, if companies do not have a gender inclusive strategy, they don't have a business growth strategy in place. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing so many, and there's not one um, silver bullet in terms of how to solve it, but there are a few things that companies could be doing. The first one is examining like the recruitment process and making sure you're removing any biases from that process, right? Making sure that there's a panel of interviewers, right? That it's not, that it, there's no biases. You know, when you have your annual reviews, it's such a great time to, to evaluate, are men and women being paid the same? Let me look at the benchmarking. Do I need to make adjustments? Mm -hmm. And also having specific um, programs in place for women. Women and men have different challenges. It's not one or the other it's we just need to level the playing field we need to get to a place of balance and that's what i talk about at albright it's really about leveling the playing field for women and they're not where, where they need to be at the moment in terms of how they they get recognized um, pay and so making sure that they have the right programs and tailored programs in place that is you know we find through you know the five years of data we've got here at albright that's centered around the mentoring you know ment mentorship helps women two and a half times stay in their, like increases their, um, I'll say that again, through mentorship, women stay in their role, are more likely to stay in their role longer. Wow. We know that through upskilling, women, um, you know, we know by 2030, more than 10% of the roles here in the UK won't exist because of the incredible tech disruption that we're seeing, right? We need to upskill, we need to support women. And it's not the technical skills, women will get the technical skills. It's giving them the mindset to be able to go into these new roles, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about when they come back from maternity, the, the you know, the loss of confidence, the loss of skill set, uh, and then it's really helping them um, create their networks. Mm -hmm. As I'm, I'm, as humans, our most fundamental need is is to belong, right? And to feel part of a, a community, to feel part of a connection. And the workplace is going to evolve and has to evolve. It has to be a place where you're making meaningful connections, you feel part of that community. We're seeing women leave the workplace at a faster rate than ever. We just released, um, it's actually being released on Monday, a future work um, survey for women. 2,000 women responded, so it's the largest one that's been done so far this year. And 40% of the women are actively looking for new roles. Imagine that, like, the, the cost of that churn rate for a company. Only 10% are looking to stay in their roles for five years or longer. And close to 60% are feeling stressed and burnt out. This is some really big data, right? And so for me, I, I really, there's a really clear call to action that corporations, businesses need to do something quickly to engage and to retain female talent. And it's not a DNI issue. Mm -hmm. It's not an HR issue culture and retaining female talent is it comes from the leaders like how are you modeling that behavior what are you doing to support women in the workplace and I feel that if you make work work for women you're making it work for everyone mm -hmm. I agree and what do you find is the most common theme of upskilling this, that these women are looking for we we often um, so they're often looking for you know confidence 
Yeah. Right. I think that's a big um, and there's I'm starting to read more studies and academic and your science studies on why women struggle with confidence. Right. And I think it's prevalent and we see it across the board. It often has to do with the gaps in their careers. So mm -hmm. they want um, confidence, um, leadership. You know, we look at helping them negotiate, which, again, kind of is, is tied to the confidence. Mm -hmm. um, we we upskill them around emerging technologies. And I do, you know, I, I urge women, it's not because I, I need you to go into Web3, but if there is a, if you don't understand that technology, if you're not aware of it, then that knowledge gap becomes a power gap and then it becomes a wealth gap in the future, right? Yeah. And so women need to lean into those technologies and understand them, whether it's AI, blockchain technology, really need to understand. So we're fostering that mindset that they can get upskilled more technically. That makes sense. I mean, one of the things that's, been interesting for me in my own journey of <clears throat> being a female founder and a female leader before that was dealing with subconscious bias because mm -hmm. when you are dealing with a lot of um, these subtle discrimination types of issues it kind of gave me a bit of peace to understand that these people think they are being inclusive they think they've put their policies in place they're not aware that they are um, doing these little things that they're doing but then it presents a harder challenge. How do we first bring awareness to solve the issue if people are not aware that they're discriminating? For example, a lot of the new AI technologies that are coming out already presenting gender bias. Mm -hmm. How do we tackle that? Gender bias? In the sense of if people are subconsciously presenting discriminative, discriminative yeah. is that the yeah. right word? Yeah. Behaviour. Yeah. Um, how do we bring that to their awareness if they're completely unaware? They and don't. it's having more sessions, like, and that's, you know, we, we do workshops around unconscious bias, mm -hmm. we do workshops around male allyship, it's making it more aware. I mean, when you look at what's happened here um, in the UK with C the CBI recently and the sexual harassment mm -hmm. allegations, it, it's quite serious. We don't, we need to make sure that we're calling it out, we need to make sure that we're, we're training, we're upskilling, we're having those conversations. Because we ha that has to be eliminated from the workplace. So if if, if you had a, a young one of your Albright members come to you and say this thing just happened to me, I've just been discriminated against. How would you advise them to handle it? I would advise them to, to speak to somebody in, like in the HR team and just be really vocal about it, and and and, and call it out. I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of weeks ago. I was meeting with some investors mm -hmm. and um, two, two gentlemen over 70 and I was telling them about Albright and one of the, I, I thought I heard him call me darling and so I carried on and, we, and I thought I'm sure it was an error mm -hmm. and then he called me again and I stopped and I said, do you know what, that is a really sexist thing to say. I'm here talking to you about Albright, mm -hmm. a, a business with a mission to empower and support women and you called me darling twice. Take, this, take a minute to reflect on that and why it's not right. Wow. And you have to, I was very polite. I wasn't angry, I wasn't, I didn't end. The, you have to call, call them on it mm -hmm. because hopefully the next time they speak to a woman, they're not gonna call her darling. Yeah, of course. You just have to call, yeah, and just do it in a way that's diplomatic, that feels right for you, but you have to call, call people on it. That's the only way that it's going to stop. I think that's a mistake that I made earlier on in my career. I would just absorb it. Yeah not want to kick up a fuss, didn't know how the person was going to retaliate, 
because when you do sometimes speak out, it can also work against you that, oh, she's raising, she's waving that flag or whatever. But I had a similar situation recently where I was in a peer group of entrepreneurs like myself, and one of them made a joke about, oh, she doesn't really know what she's doing. And they laughed, and I sat back and thought, hmm, is that, is that the right behaviour? Um, and then I addressed it a couple of moments later and said, well, let me help you understand what I do, otherwise this peer group is not very useful for me if uh, you guys haven't taken the time to understand uh, what I bring to the table. But then it also presented the question of, is there a right time to stand up and say something and is there a right time to step away? Should you be battling with every one of those in instances? I think every situation is different, so you do what feels right in the instance. I know that in that situation where, you know, just, I mean, it was two weeks ago, had I not said anything, I would feel like a fraud, mm -hmm. right? I would feel like it's wrong, it goes against everything that I believe in. And in that moment, if I address in a way that's constructive, mm -hmm. not angry, not, you know, constructive, I hope to teach them not to do that again and the response was oh i'm sorry you know we're over 70 we we're stuck in our old ways just don't do it again yeah and let's carry on the conversation right yeah, yeah. and i think it's the way we approach it so it's how do we how do we speak about it in a way that doesn't feel threatening threatening but then drive change right because the more we can talk about it openly just say look it's just not right reflect look who you're speaking to you know yeah. and, and they're like oh I'm sorry and, and it's just that, that that might not always work mm -hmm. but I think just do it in a way that feels right for you because at the end of the day it's you know if, if you just have to look in the mirror and be proud with your integrity your values your purpose so had I said that to them and they reacted in the wrong way I would have just ended the call and I thought well, I still did the right thing and I would have moved on from it yeah no I appreciate that and I think for me as someone that tends to really want to fight for women and even by doing these um, episodes I also know that sometimes you have to draw a line and protect your own boundaries so I can call it in the moment but then is it on me to then my instinct would be right we're going to run workshops and we're going to help you guys understand and I'm like mm, should I do that where, where, and knowing where that line is of how much time do I invest to driving this change because there's just so much of it right there's so many of these issues across the industry um, so it's really interesting to hear your take. Um, so <clears throat> you have achieved some amazing things over the years and held some really influential positions. So what tips would you give to the next generation of female leaders? Oh, first we think. Um, a few. So let me think. Um, you know, I, I would, I, I often say disappointing others is a good habit to cultivate because as women we often have this altruistic goal vision that we're there to please everyone and the quicker you can get really comfortable with disappointing others the better yeah and that comes with you know that's around protecting your boundaries that's around being okay with not always being perfect I'm totally fine with disappointing others and, and it's really, really important. And when you think about it, when you reflect that comment, you're really comfortable with disappointing others or cultivate that habit, it makes you uncomfortable, right? Because you don't, we don't want to disappoint others, but I, I just, I'm really passionate about being okay with disappointing others. And, and I say it to my team and I, I talk, you know, it's something that I, I think is really important that women need to 
get to grips with, right? Um, and then I'd say the next one is surround yourself with people that make you feel like you're 10 feet tall, right? Um, I, I, my role is to lift others up as I rise, right? Our, all of our roles collectively as leaders, managers, doesn't matter what level you are, you've got to lift others as you rise. And to do that, you have to surround yourself with the right people. The faster you, you realize that, the better. I wish I had networks like Albright when I was moving up in my career because it makes such a difference where you, you, sh you share experiences, you know that you're not the only one going through you know, something and lifting others and making others feel like they're 10 feet tall and others and make you feel it's just really important for your mental health, your confidence, um, all of that. And then the last, I mean, networking is the most important thing you will do for your career. It's so important, your, your, your jobs, your, um, again, your sense of belonging, your community, take the time to invest in yourself. And, you know, I went to an event recently that a friend in the industry invited me and at the end of the, and it was great, packed <clears throat> senior leaders within media and advertising. And he said at the end, what did you think about the event? So I loved it, but you have to have more women here. There just were not enough women. He said, I start the invite list with 75% female. And then I end up just having 25%. Mm -hmm. And it's just take the time, make the time to network. Men do it so well. And it's just the most important thing that you'll do. Um, I'm gonna add one more. Um, embrace the qualities that women have naturally, which is around empathy and vulnerability, mm -hmm. because leadership has changed and has evolved. And, and there's always this debate, uh, is it a, you know, are you seen too soft if you're vulnerable? Are you seen too soft if you're empathetic? You're not. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to, to be a strong leader, but be empathetic, show vulnerability as well. I love that. And your first point around disappointing others, it really speaks to me because mm -hmm. that was one of my biggest transitions when I stepped into a CEO role. I'd gone from being a design director where you're hardwired to learn how to play politics and everyone has to like you and you have to be friendly and bubbly and all of these things but as a CEO it's impossible to be liked by everybody yeah. it, you can't and that was a really tough lesson for me to learn and be okay with the fact that I might be a bit like Marmite some people are really gonna respond to me and others won't and I think it took a long time for me to learn how to really love myself and accept myself to be comfortable with the fact that not everybody is going to be my person, so to yeah. speak. So that really and it takes to me. time together, doesn't it? Because mm -hmm. it wasn't always. I wasn't always like that. And I know, moving up, I, you know, I wanted to be the one people everyone liked to work with. Mm -hmm. I was always very positive. I still am, but I, I always tried to please others around me because I thought that's what I needed to do mm -hmm. to get promoted. Um, and then if somebody didn't agree with me or didn't respond that I would take it really personal and it's not personal yeah. and as leaders you know you have to make difficult decisions and that'll make you unpopular yeah. and and you have to be okay with that yeah I agree and your point on networking this is a new thing for me uh, networking I started to do this about six months ago I'm usually the person that I make jokes I prefer to be in the cupboard doing the creative stuff and let the rest of the team do the networking and now I'm having to branch out and actually make friends in, in the world around me especially as a lone female founder um, do you have any tips for someone like me that is quite new to networking 
aside from joining Albright, um, <laughs> I, just put yourself out there. You know, just um, you know, think about your personal brand, mm -hmm. and you know, I think that the, the the secret to building your your brand is is, is just starting. Right, so many people don't want to think about it. Why should I? Who am I to build my personal brand? But you have to, right? So think about what do you want to be known in the industry for? What is your expertise? And what? And then what's what does that plan look like for you? So what? How many times? Where do you need to be posting and talking and and being a thought leader? What events do you need to be at? And I am. It's part of my job. But I'm um, I'm a natural extrovert and I'm so curious. So when I go to events, I, I speak to everybody. And I'm always saying hello and, and understanding where they're coming from. And there's somebody on their own. I will always go up to that person and sit with them, right? So I think finding the finding that tribe, those women, and the environment that makes you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. We try to take the work out of networking. So when we have our events at Albright, we have one event, a monthly event that's um, open to our digital members called Albright Meets, and it's our most popular event. We get about 80, 90 uh, women here, and and they, they love it and they leave with like such a bounce in their step because they've met all these amazing women. So I think it's finding those, those communities mm -hmm. that are right for you and then how do they feed into kind of your overall brand and who you want to be recognized for, um, as. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. I think for me as well, being a neurodiverse person, the first time I walk into a new environment or a network environment, my instinct is to freeze and go and stand in the corner. Yeah. And thankfully for me, the last one I was at, I did have a lady walk up to me yeah. and just make friends with me and it completely changed yeah. my experience yeah. and made it less yeah. sensory overload yeah. and overwhelming for And me. even just talking about that, I love that you're so open about it because other women who are watching will get inspired by that. And, and being vulnerable and being authentic, so I find when I go to networking events, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm me, right? And I find out and, and it, at w who the person is, what they're doing, why they're here, what kind of people they want to meet, and just be really authentic and, and yourself and, and speak about, you know, the, the things that scare you. And one of our, um, our last event, uh, I approached this really young woman and I said, oh, are you a member? What do you do? And she said, I hate networking events. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, so why did you come here? What kind of people do you want to meet? I said, and, and she said to me, what do you do? I said, well, I'm the CEO. I said, come around, I'll, I'll introduce you to people. And it's just, and she was so terrified. And by the end of the night, she had all these friends and it's, and being honest, like I really hate networking. So I'm terrified of this. And then most of the time, women will just embrace that and, and, and help you know, lift you up. That's amazing. And I think for people like me, having other people be aware that if you see someone standing mm. in the corner and they're looking a bit nervous, they could be a neurodiverse person, they could mm. be in sensory overload, they could be just coming to terms with their environment and being aware of that and supporting those women can make a huge difference. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I know for myself that having the right team around is important and you just mentioned this in your previous um, comment. So talk to me about your team. What's the thing that you all have in common or what do you look for when you're building your own team? Firstly, I'll, I'll start by saying the team is everything. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just everything. And I'm, I hope that every leader realizes that. It's about the team. You cannot drive success on your own. The one thing that everybody here at Albright has in common is purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's really what gets us out of bed in the morning, uh, what brings us together. And it's that, um, that privilege as well that we're making change and and that bonds us um i've you know i've made changes to the team um when i took on the role of, of chief exec 
I, I think about the shared values. I don't need people like me, but I need shared values are really important. So I'm, I'm very clear on the values um, that are important to me. And together with my team, we co-created new values and evolved the values for Albright. Uh, and I, I make sure that the team share those values and that's, that's important to me. And I, I hope um, they would say that, you know, for me, I, I listen and I ask questions from the most senior person to the most junior person in any organization that I've been. And I've been at companies that have thousands of people to a company that's much smaller, like Albright. And I believe that we learn from each other every day. And um, I had a great boss that said to me, you know, most, of, you know, about we was talking about his leadership style and he'd say you know sometimes Viv I'll stand next to you and we'll you know we'll, we'll deal with challenges together sometimes I'll move in front of you and I'll put out fires if I need to but most of the time I'll stand behind you and I'll let the light shine on you and I love that yeah. and so what I try to say to my team and especially my direct reports they're really good at bringing me in or I can identify where they need me mm -hmm. and it's it's something that always stuck to me and it's something that I hopefully I embody every day so. that's amazing I think for me as well what was important you mentioned earlier about culture and it stemming from the top. So in my own leadership team, looking at diversity in terms of backgrounds, ethnicity, things like that were also really important to me because those people will continue to hire diversely and set the tone for our culture. So <clears throat> is that something that's important to you as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, diversity in, in backgrounds and in thought and in gender. And, um, you know, we talk about social mobility. Some people may not have access to education like we have, but have a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. So not making those judgments too soon. And, I, and again, I think that's what's so interesting and exciting about the workplace. And that's where you have to remove certain bi those biases, right? And, and it's really understanding. And I, I bring it back to the shared values. I think if you share the same values with your team, then you're all gonna move in the same direction. Um, so we obviously, um, being a company that champions diversity, that in inspires others and other corporations to, to improve their culture, that's at the heart of what, of what we do. Yeah, it's amazing. So tell me, who do you admire or who has inspired you that, as a leader? Gosh, I'm currently, I'm always inspired. I have to contain my inspiration. I write <laughs> down, I, I'm in this great place where I'm learning every day because I get to meet so many amazing women. Um, of course, I was inspired by both my parents. Um, there's some you know, incredible female role models. Uh, Madeleine Albright, which Albright is named after, it was mm -hmm. a huge inspiration. And, and she quickly recognized the importance of women supporting other women's and, and she's very famous with the quote that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, 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 and the idea that sisterhood works and we have to lift, lift each other up and she was just so influential and, and my team came from a very difficult upbringing and, and all of that. Um, Justice Ginsburg is someone that I always love, I read, 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 read her books. And, and mostly because of her uh, passion for uh, campaigning for gender equality. Um, and then I'm, I'm really inspired by the younger generation as well. I mean, we were chatting before started. I, I, I got to meet Steve Bartlett earlier um, this week, and I'm inspired by his, his ambition, his clarity of vision, 
his um, his desire as, a, as an entrepreneur and I think how amazing that this younger generation is just creating so many new opportunities and I absolutely get inspired by that and then I, I get inspired by kind of the over 50 generation who are redefining themselves we have a member here that um, has you know is, is again in her fifth or sixth career and she is really like you know life doesn't end you know, post-menopause, right? She's really redefining her career, has created an amazing new business. And, you know, as, you know, I'm over 40, so when you look at women like that, you think, oh, that's amazing, right? My, my career doesn't end yeah. <laughs> at 50. And I think those, those are the type of people that inspire me, both the younger generation and the older generation. And just women like you, right, that are making change, that are merging their passion for, for purpose, but also driving growth in the right way. Mm -hmm. I think there's just, I, I think we live again in a really exciting time where there's just so many positive results around us. I like your comments earlier before the interview as well about Stephen Barlett, where you were saying that how genuine and kind he was to you. It's like, yeah. that it's so easy to, you meet your, your heroes and they can not turn out to be who you expected them to be, but the fact that he was still so human yeah. about how he approached you I think is awesome as well and I think a lot of viewers would like to know that that he seems to still be approachable and down yeah. to earth despite his success. I know and I was um, I did mention I was nervous going to this event because when I took on the role of chief exec I, I started to listen to the diary of the CEO and he has these great examples and one early example was saying gosh I didn't have enough money for payroll and the bank wouldn't give me an extension of the loan and unless I sign this client I wasn't going to get money to pay my team and, mm -hmm. and, and then he talks about his tenacity and then how he got a signature in the meeting and he took it to the <laughs> and I love those stories and it, it drives you. So when I got invited to this um, intimate q and I thought, gosh, you know, I hope he's what I think he is because you never know when you're filming a podcast and it could be, you know, um, um, structured in a way where... But he was just so kind and so generous, and not just to me, to others. There's, there's, there was a group of us who stayed on to speak to him one-on-one. -on -one. I think it took like an hour to speak to everybody. And he was also very, you know, where he didn't know the answer, he was like, oh, I gotta think about that. And, and that's okay as well. And it's that, um, he said something that I really loved. He, and one of the questions that the audience asked is, what have you learned from interviewing everyone? He said that we're all the same. Wow. Right? We all go through the same challenges, mm -hmm. we all have the same fears, we all go through similar journeys and, it's, and what he does so well is bring those out and tell those stories and we all have a story to tell. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you have any campaigns or projects coming up that you want to share? I saw something about you partnered with Chelsea, I actually used to work for Chelsea so I know a little bit about Chelsea. I did you? What did you do? I was a designer there, so oh, I worked on some of the digital platforms much earlier in my career. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so we did partner with Chelsea. I'm a huge um, sports fan, so I'm mm. like, if you can't tell, you know, I'm like very competitive. I love every sport and give me a sport and I'll get involved. But why we're working with Chelsea is we launched something called the Albright Alliance, mm -hmm. which is the largest collective to make work work for women in the workplace. Work, work, work. Yes, making sure I said that it's quite uh, make work work for all women. And, um, and the reason why we launched that is one of my observations when I joined Albright, I love the feedback we get from our members, how we're helping them achieve, overcome challenges, get promoted, get a new job. But there is power, we can't do it alone, right? So there is power in the collective. 
So how do we take what we do at Albright and get more people to do it in the workplace? You know, as much as I'd love to have a club and, and every key city, that's not scalable. Mm -hmm. But what is scalable is to think about how do we take the impact and translate into the workplace for good. And that's where we're going to see real change. And, and also, you know, we're not there to do it alone. Mm -hmm. We're there to work with leading businesses and co-create what workplace should be. So as part of our Chelsea partnership, we are supporting all the women in their workplace. Um, through mentoring, networking, and upskilling, and we've got specific programs. We have a, um, a session for men at Chelsea around male allyship. That's coming. That's good. And then we are also supporting um, their female players that, uh, because you know, as a player, you have all this support around you, and then when you retire, you have none of it. And something that women, um, female players, will start thinking enough about early is what am I going to do next? What does my brand look like? What are my opportunities? So we've got 10 female players who are going through our elevator program, which is our senior program designed to help women take their, the next step in their careers. Wow. So that's, for me, that's super, that's really, really inspiring. I'm just passionate about supporting um, women in sport and especially once they finish their sporting career, like what do they do next? Mm -hmm. When you look at C-suite women, the number one trait 94% of them have in common is they play sports. Wow. And so how do we harness that energy and that, the, 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 the skill set they have, leadership, resilience, mm -hmm. and translate into the workplace? Um, so as part of Alliance, we already have 11 partners from HSBC, BNY Mellon, we've got Soho House, we've got these incredible brands who've all signed up to be part of the Alliance. So that's the key priority for our business is really driving change um, globally and taking what we know has worked so much over the last five years of Albright. It's all data driven. So the program starts with doing a data scan of what's working, what's not working in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Then we take that data and we apply a, a program for, for, uh, for companies. That's a combination of a certain number of women going through our mentorship, a certain number of women going through um, our programs and then giving them the opportunity to cross industry network as well because I think that's when you learn mm -hmm. and then at the end of the first year it's a two-year um, membership they get what we call the bright mark which is a, um, which signifies that they've gone through our program for a year and they've ticked certain boxes in terms of supporting women in the workplace they can display that across all their communication and it helps them with um, female talent acquisition Wow, that's impressive. Yes, yeah, we're I so love, proud of it. Yeah, I love that you're taking this and you're scaling it and applying what you know to all yeah. these organisations. That's amazing. Because as you know, well, as we chat about, you just you can't do it alone. You can't. And we can't do it alone, right? Yeah. And we need to have others who are really committed to the same um, the same goals as we are and the same purpose. Yeah, I'm definitely grateful that <laughs> organisations like you exist because, as I mentioned, I can't tackle all of it myself and educate every company that I come across so it's amazing to know that there are people out there driving driving this are there any other campaigns or projects that you guys are working on that you want to share yeah so we've going to kick off um, now um, just before summer our live well campaign mm -hmm. and, and again that's um, stemmed by the data um, we're, we always look at the data to, to really understand how women are you know what the challenges women are facing and the data um, that we we've seen and just in the press, but also the data we've collected around women and burnout. So we are gonna have um, an entire, um, is it 10 weeks? The whole summer live well, supporting women through mental health, um, taking care of themselves. So it'll be wellness, 
it'll be um, how to you know how to um, support your, your well-being it'll be a bit of gut health it'll be around how to avoid burnout so there's quite a lot coming up um, over the next few weeks around avoiding burnout so really focusing on because well-being is such a big part of, of who we are and what we do and and we don't focus enough on it so it's going to be a whole well-being um, summer and then in September we have our Alliance Leadership Summit that's going to take place um, so we're really excited about that as well. Amazing. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a massive believer in, in empowering other women especially in the workplace. How can we do more of that? Yeah, um, I'd love to hear how you do it. So mm -hmm. how can we do more of that uh, promoting women um, really championing their achievements and praising them publicly in front of others both men and women and i think that's something men need to do because men are such an important part of this journey yeah. so when we talk about male allyship it's praise women and their achievements don't take credit you know make sure that you're really um, championing them vocally as well uh, publicly um, making sure that we're promoting supporting women there's a lot around proximity bias because mm -hmm. women you know are, are currently disproportionately being affected by the hybridized work models because they have more caring responsibilities at home they if, if there's this notion that if you're, you're not seen you're not being promoted so making sure that those those biases are removed um, and then supporting bringing them to networking events uh, introducing them I'm really you know, I love being generous with my network mm -hmm. um, and introducing others and sometimes I somebody will ask me for an introduction and I introduce them and I never hear back from them. And I always think that's really strange, right? Yeah. <laughs> I still do it because it's just naturally who I am and I just think it's really important. Connect other women, help them and, and do that as often as you can. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess that's kind of what I'm doing with these, uh, these episodes and Change by Design. My intention is to find women like yourself and help tell your story and the amazing things that you're doing to support more women in finding these resources. Um, it's the least that I can do is to give back to the community. And I find that as someone that puts out a lot of content as well on LinkedIn and places like that, I tend to get a lot of women messaging me and saying, oh my gosh, you must be the most organized person ever because you're able to have such a young child and run a business. And I feel that it's my, I've now, inherited this obligation to, to speak my truth and say actually sometimes it's really hard I'm not this perfect mother worker person I do have days like yourself where I have to take some time out and I think that that's important that the more I put myself out there and put content out there I have a duty to these women to be truthful about what that what that means and the resilience that you have to build in order to keep forgiving yourself for not being at every parent's evening or missing the odd bath time because it's impossible to maintain this perfect persona. So I think for me, empowering other women starts with some of these episodes that I'm doing now, help tell the stories, but also just being truthful and honest like, like you are with your team about needing that time. Yes, I, I think it just comes back to that authenticity, that vulnerability. It's really what um, we're, we're really good at, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's also the, I guess, the opposite, like the, the reverse of that is um, 
it's also okay if, if you don't struggle, you balance it all well, and you do that, but that's, that's great as well. I mean, I went to an event where, you know, women were talking about the challenges they faced in their upbringing and challenges they faced in the workplace with men. And, and I thought, gosh, I don't have a story <laughs> that, that, like that, but, but, but then my story is different. My story is that I had fantastic role models in my parents that inspired me to work. I had a fantastic male role model as I moved up, I mean, it was never, it wasn't always perfect, and there was always cha certain challenges in the workplace. Um, but it's also okay to say, you know what, I've I've learned. I've learned from men. I've learned from women. I've learned from my parents, and I don't get it all right. I I, I don't have the balance, but I integrate work and life, and it's a lifestyle for me, and I look at it as a whole. I think that's okay as well, right? It's every. I think you just have to be truth to the challenges you're you're facing, and, and just be really honest about it. Yeah, completely. And I think I mentioned just before the interview as well, part of the things that Fearless are doing to support other women is the Working Parents Project, which was a free charity initiative where we teamed up with people from all over the industry just to highlight the reality of the data that comes out of this, the amount of women that are losing their jobs just for getting pregnant, the amount of women that can't afford to go to work, the mm. psychological challenges that we're not aware of. Um, in addition to that, we've teamed up with Refuge to support women and children that are um, dealing with domestic abuse and how we can help to educate the next generation of women. I mean, gosh, I don't even know how to respond to that. There's just so much in there. But <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's great. I love it. And I, I, I definitely, when you think about childcare costs and the challenges mothers are facing, that's a, a whole episode in itself, right? There are millions of women who want to work but cannot because of childcare costs. You know, our, the cost of childcare here is a third of um, someone's salary. I mean, that is just so high. We could, if we were supporting women who wanted to go into the workplace, that's 11 billion pounds back into the economy. The, there is not enough being done um, to support women who want to work. It's not, and not all of them want to, not all mums want to go back to work, but for the mums that do want to go back to work, it's just, they're not set up for success. I mean, I, um, I hired a, a young lady here not too long ago, and she had just had um, a baby a, a few months ago, and I said, why are you looking for work? So I went back to work, and my maternity cover hasn't moved on. Mm -hmm. And so I feel out of place. I mean, how is that okay today, right? How is, I mean, and, and so, you know, she's probably still, you know, I mean, her, her baby's just four months, so it's still really relatively young. She's probably not sleeping enough. And then having to think about how do I find another job because I'm afraid I can't retain the one I have, it's heartbreaking. And it's just not good enough. It's really like, it's really not good enough. Yeah, I agree. Well, I for one am truly grateful for the work that Albright is doing and I'm so excited about the future with you steering the ship. Um, what can we expect from Albright in the future? Yeah, well, you can expect uh, more of what we're doing now, you know, uh, more ways to empower and support women, more opportunities to network, to, to, to upskill, and, and also build, like, to be part of this incredible community. And building a community is hard. It's not about the followers you have. You can have a million followers but not build a community. Mm -hmm. And for me, everything we do is, is the members are community is at the heart, right? And you can see, you'll see more of this kind of community-driven work. And, and why that's important is because there's strength in community. That's how you drive change. Yeah, I agree. <laughs>
Vivian, it's been great to hear about your story and the incredible work that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And I can't wait to see where the future of Albright goes with you driving the ship. Lauren, thank you so much for having me and for being fearless yourself. <laughs> uh, best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you.